The views and opinions expressed in the Hide and Seek podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views, positions, or opinions of the host or contributors. Hey everyone, this is Sarah. Most of you know me from the Hide and Seek podcast discussion group on Facebook. Do you enjoy the Hide and Seek podcast? Would you like to show your support? Head over to Apple iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and follow us so you never miss an episode. You can interact with us as well as share your thoughts, ideas, and theories on this season's episodes by joining the Hide and Seek Podcast Discussion Group. Find us by searching Hide and Seek Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. The following podcast may contain strong language and is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, welcome back to part two of season three. Sarah and I want to thank you for your patience over the last few weeks while we took some much needed time to go over Brittany's case file. This is a large file and there's a lot of information to examine, especially in conjunction with the information we've gathered. We want to take the time to be thorough and considerate with it. We're eager to share what we've learned. However, there's a responsibility that comes with having any case file. And part of that responsibility is acting in the best interest of the case. So please understand that what's in the best interest of Brittany's case may mean not sharing everything that her case file contains. I imagine that might frustrate some people. Our priority is Brittany, not the show. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the search for Brittany. In episode 14, you heard the evolution of my relationship with Ashley. In the early days of the investigation, Ashley was protective, but willing to contribute and help. Or so I thought. Once I got to Michigan, Ashley's involvement rapidly changed. She went from being an asset to a liability. And though I tried my best to be patient and understanding, it felt like my patience and understanding were being more misinterpreted as a pass for her behavior. The obsessive messaging about over-the-top theories like 
Greg not being Brittany's father, was taking us so far off the trail that I couldn't even see the path anymore. The less I entertained her far-fetched theories, the less she would engage. This coupled with the assumption that I was ignoring her when I couldn't respond right away was giving me cause for pause. Ashley created this super highway of information that had no road signs, slews of information just pouring into my inbox. No context, no explanation, just chaos. After Sarah and I had a few candid conversations, my instincts started telling me that maybe everything wasn't as it seemed. In the last episode, we shared a conversation that Ashley had with Brittany's Uncle Scott. On February 6th, Ashley sends me a screenshot of this conversation. The screenshot captures part of a previous conversation she had with him, where Ashley shit-talks me. We'll revisit this later in this episode. Now that you're caught up from episode 14, it's time to pack our bags and head back to Sturgis. We have a lot to pack, but even more to unpack, and I'm not talking about luggage. But before I head back to Sturgis, Sarah and I go over some of the names on the suspect board. We start to pin the pictures of those who we still have questions for to the side of the board. I start with Jessica's picture. We need answers about the voice messages left for her the night Brittany disappeared. If there's one thing Jessica has remained adamant about, it's that she had nothing to do with her daughter's disappearance. She doubles down on this. James, this bitch is pissing me off. I am going to do everything I can do to get my accounts back. But in the meantime, man, I don't even know what to say. Like, I'm just, she's just making shit up. Like, just making shit up. And I'm having, I'm guessing that's got something to do with, like, when you asked me about those voicemails from Leonard and the other guy that used to work for me. And... Um, asked me if it had anything to do with Brittany. And, and I told you that it didn't. And, you know, the whole lie detector test, you know, could prove that. So please get here and please give me a lie detector test so I can get this bitch out of my life because I am really want to go beat her ass. I'm not playing anymore. <laughs> like, I'm sick of it. I get screenshotted stuff daily, and I, I keep my cool, man. I'm, I'm just, oh, I'm over it. Next. I take the picture of Chuck and move it next to Jessica's. Chuck ghosted me last time we were supposed to talk. His behavior is suspicious. And we need an explanation about the ring video and the caddy. In his own words. I need to talk to Kim and Valerie. These names were brought up by Cage. Cage says they have knowledge about some of Britney's belongings and may know what happened to the missing information on Brittany's Facebook page. Cage tells me there's no way these women will talk to me. Do you think Kimberly or Val would talk? Definitely not. We'll see about that. My last questions are maybe some of the most important 
What happened with Britney's Facebook page? Why are there missing messages? Why does the login and IP address information show only one person being in there from November of 2018 to July of 2019? I've removed the pin in Ashley's picture and placed her next to Chuck. I've always thought that plans are nothing. But planning is everything. Valerie and Kim agree to meet me while I'm back in Michigan. If you recall, in episode 6, we heard from Cage, a.k.a. Daniel. In his interview, Cage says, Brittany's debit card is in Indiana and was used the night she disappeared at a marathon gas station. One of the debit cards was used in the marathon gas station shortly after she went missing Cage tells me, Ashley and a woman named Kim both lived with a woman named Valerie. He says Kim is the one who used the debit card and that Valerie was given Brittany's phone and laptop by Ashley. One last thing Cage tells me is that Valerie and Ashley went through Brittany's Facebook and destroyed it. I make it a point to set up meetings with both of these women. In episode 12, Zach Kaner told us about a house where he believes several women have been sexually assaulted. As a result of that conversation, Zach introduced me to a woman who was willing to go on record about the night she was sexually assaulted at the same house. I'll speak to her while I'm in Sturgis. Now in episode 10, you heard that Sarah was able to arrange the donation of GPR services from a great company in the area. To recap, GPR is short for Ground Penetrating Radar. This is a geophysical locating method that uses radio waves to capture images below the surface of the ground in a minimally invasive way. Sarah calls me with the details and some concerns Mike relayed to her. Okay, what's up? So I talked to Mike today, the guy um, from the GPR company. Yeah. And so things are, you know, settled. We have a date. We have all that. Um, but he has a couple concerns, and they're pretty much centered around the weather. Um, what, so, okay, what's the issue? If there is more than two inches of snow, or like standing groundwater, then there would be an issue, and they it's likely they wouldn't be able to get out there. Okay. Well, obviously, looking at the weather conditions, we're going to be close to below freezing. Regardless, can he still make it, though? If we get out there and he's and, and, and there's opportunities, he's still going to come? We talked about that, and he, he's going to come out in, in either case and, and check out the property. Okay. See, see what he finds when he gets there. Worst case scenario... We can't get it done. Is he still able to go out if I show him where I need him to do it at? Worst case scenario, he can come back at a different date without you there. Okay. I want to be there. Okay. 
All right. Yeah. Okay. Let's hope for Mother Nature to be on our side. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Just eight days before I fly out to Michigan, Ashley hasn't made up her mind as to whether or not she'll meet with me for the benefit of her best friend's case. Earlier, when I mentioned Ashley shit-talking me to Brittany's Uncle Scott, I told you we'd revisit this topic. Here's a portion of their conversation. I wasn't able to see the entire exchange. But in the end, this is probably going to pad his pockets nicely. Podcasts make money with sponsors. All you need to get a good sponsor is a bunch of listeners. With all the bullshit that's created surrounding Brit, thanks to Jessica not wanting it to end. And Lord knows what kind of spin he plans on putting on it. He's going to end up with so many listeners. I think he's doing it for all the wrong reasons. And I'm sorry because I put my name on his word. So I feel it's my fault. I confirm with Ashley that those words are indeed hers in a text message she sent to Brittany's Uncle Scott. The blue was me. I had already received two different messages from people questioning me about your legitimacy at that point. Then you and I had our conversation about Jessica and you thinking it would be a good idea to just ask her about it like she was going to tell the truth. Then that same night, I had another woman message me about you, so... I felt it necessary at that point to warn others to proceed with caution or use their best judgment until we know for sure what your intentions really are. I've since said and still will stand by it that I think your intentions are in fact to solve this. However, I don't feel like you're looking for the fastest way to point B, but rather taking the more scenic route, if you will. Being that you do have something to gain from it with your podcast, not saying anything negative or malicious, but saying that is just what it is, simple as that. I've lost too much of my life and had my character assassinated and then some during my pursuit of justice for Brit. So allowing anyone to come in and potentially damage or hinder any of the trust and progress I have made isn't an option for me. And for the record, in case it comes up, I didn't tell him or anyone to not talk to you. I wouldn't ever do that. I just warned to err on the side of caution. I'm sure you can understand, or at least I would hope you could understand my point of view, given what you know now. Given that that was three months ago, and I've been working with another person too, and continued forging ahead as I always do, I'm no longer as concerned as I was then. Whether you are or aren't in it for the right reason, that doesn't change the fact that I'm just as I always have been. And it doesn't change the fact that I will see the end of this someday and Brit will get her justice. And again, I'll reiterate, I think your intentions are to solve this eventually. My intentions are just a little different as I want it to be over with as soon as possible because it's already gone on entirely too long and too many people's lives have been negatively affected when they've tried to help. Everyone else has given up, sat down, or gone silent to avoid the wrath of Jessica. I won't. And anyone that buys into her bullshit goes into a category of people for me that aren't to be fully trusted anymore. Because that means they're either A, being blackmailed by her to side with her, 
her favorite way to get people on her side, B, are just not trustworthy people as birds of a feather flock together type of deal, or C, they're just naive and clueless as to what kind of person she truly is and can be. There, I've said my piece. Well, I appreciate you sharing and saying your piece. I am grateful for all the work you've done with me and that you know my intentions and motives are and have always been in the right place. I'm here for Brit. I'm definitely taking my time. I'm thorough and I've also had a lot of leads to follow up on. I understand that you've lost a lot and that this has been difficult for you. My hope is that we can find out what happened sooner rather than later and to put to rest all the finger pointing and bringing justice to the person or persons responsible for Brittany's disappearance. I'll be there tomorrow. Let me know when we can meet. I'll be there all week. The response you just heard was me exercising my patience. I responded in a diplomatic way because that's what's in the best interest of moving Brittany's case forward. What time tomorrow? My schedule won't be as open as last time. While you may appreciate me saying my piece, do you understand it? I'll be honest though. My patience is wearing thin. I hold off on the response. Understanding Ashley's personal position and opinion isn't my concern. My concern is bringing Brittany home to her family. Just when I thought things could not get any stranger, I get a voice memo from Ethan. Hey dude, um, so I was just scrolling through the Facebooks and I saw that Ashley is now dating Chuck Allen. Chuck Allen, of all people. Well, I'm not even sure what to say about that. Looking back at all the accusations Ashley's made about Chuck, this seems like a very odd turn of events. Hopefully, this means I can kill two birds with one stone while I'm in Sturgis and talk to them both. It's 4 a.m. Let me repeat that. It's 4 a.m. It's mid-February in Washington. It's a balmy 30 degrees outside. And I'm anticipating a long day of travel ahead of us. I see Ethan roll up. In case you don't recall, Ethan is the hide-and-seek videographer. This means he travels with all kinds of equipment in addition to his luggage. I can tell by Ethan's face when he exits his car that 4.30 a.m. isn't his best time of day. The morning is cold, and packing all of the equipment in our luggage into my car is kind of like Brittany's case. You don't know what piece will fit where. You don't know how long it will take to get the pieces into place. And by the time you're ready to move forward, pieces have shifted and you just need to take a deep breath and reevaluate your plan. As we finally pull out of the driveway and get on the road to the airport, I'm thinking about what I'll do in the next 10 to 12 hours of travel. I have a transcript of a conversation to read. I settle on that as my plan. Ethan is talking to me from the passenger seat, but my brain is focused on the next week of time I'll spend in Sturgis. We check in at the airport 
And all I could say is, Delta better have a better bag handling procedure than United. Boarding the flight, I realized the feeling going back to Sturgis is very different than the feeling I had when I went the first time. I'm anxious. And I know there's things that have to be done if we want to advance Brittany's case. Sitting there on the tarmac, waiting to take off, I'm thinking about how the visit might play out. But I'm also thinking back to my first visit. I'm reminding myself why we do this. I think about Brittany's family. Greg talking about his baby girl and the last time he saw her. The laughter through tears when he told me about her shit-eating grin. Jess, sharing with me her trials and tribulations with Brittany as she grew up. But ultimately, the love she has for her daughter drives her to continue searching for answers. Before I know it, we're in the air. The drink cart's rolling by, and I've opened up a transcript of a conversation Ashley provided between her and a private investigator we'll refer to as Jim Rockford. I get myself set up to work while I'm on the flight. It'll serve a dual purpose. It'll take my mind off of flying, and I can listen to the audio of the interview I did with Rockford while I go through the transcript. The benefit for you guys is that you'll be able to hear straight from Rockford, but you'll also be able to hear the most important parts of the nearly 500-page transcript between him and Ashley. While you're listening, keep in mind that the conversations you'll hear between Rockford and Ashley took place between May of 2019 and July of 2019. And this was something I believe that you were putting in your hours to become a private investigator or something like that? Basically, I was a student at Indiana State, and I saw the uh, post- Jessica posting that she needed a uh, PI pro bono. So I, I talked to uh, another PI that I'm very close to in my family that uh, basically said he'd help me any way I could, uh, any way he could. And uh, that that person also talked to Jessica, and uh, basically she you know she couldn't afford him, so I volunteered to help out any way I could, and that's kind of where it started. When you started, did you make contact with Ashley pretty quickly? You know, I think I think her name got brought up possibly by Jessica very early on. I asked Jessica for whatever information she could give me so we could go look at uh, whatever was there. And, and she, I believe she said that uh, Brittany was uh, living with Ashley around that time and, and Ashley could probably have more information too. So that's when I reached out. Um, Greg is the father, right? Correct. Uh, memory. Yeah. No, I never had a chance to speak to Greg. Actually, there were several people that told me that he wouldn't be interested in speaking at all, and I never tried to reach out to him. I, I only worked on the case for a couple of months before um, sort of walking away. So, And did you make contact with the detectives as well? Yes. Yeah. Okay. What was that like? What was, I mean, what did you walk away from that conversation feeling like? They didn't dissuade me from pursuing anything, but they uh, basically told me that they were under the belief that she probably had hypothermia and that some hunter would come across her body eventually. Had they had told you at that point in time if they had brought anybody in for polygraphs or for um, anything like that? They had mentioned that they had talked to several characters in the uh, investigation, but they... 
I don't remember, I don't recall specifically if they said that they polygraphed this person or that person. I remember hearing that this person or that person got polygraphed, but, uh, you know, I, I, the, the police didn't confirm or deny that to me. You had talked to John, the elderly man, and Correct. you talked to him one time? Yes, I talked to him one time on the phone. On the phone. And did you ever go out to his property? No, I never went out to his property. To the best of my recollection, he told me that uh, she came to the door frantic and was wearing no shoes, which, uh, I, you know, on a little background on that date, I, I did uh, look at the weather that night in Sturgis and it was uh, raining and, and it was, I believe, 31 was the high that night. And, uh, not having any shoes on was a little bit odd, so I figured I would call him. But, yeah, he confirmed that she was wearing no shoes and that she had no jacket on, that he went and got her either a jacket or a sweater and then asked if she needed to call police. And then he went inside to get the phone to call the police, and when he came back out, she was gone. And actually, I believe he did mention that she was bleeding. Uh, I don't know if he said specifically that she was bleeding from her scratches on her arm or, or something like that, but I believe he did say she was bleeding. He, he didn't go into great detail about what he did next. Okay. He, I believe he just kind of went back inside, you know, and um, said there was a lot of speculation surrounding that situation. And uh, I don't know what's factual and what isn't, but uh, there were a lot of people saying, oh, you know, whoever was following her was coming up and she's the kind of person that would wouldn't put him in any danger and that's probably why she ran off but then again if you look at what hypothermia does to a person if she was hypothermic by that point logical reasoning kind of goes out the window so she could have just ran off who knows i know that the neighbor across the street she apparently went across it from john's house and was pounding on windows or something like that and there was a teenage boy at home and basically scared the liver out of him and uh, he never even answered the door. So so law enforcement's perspective, and again, it's freezing at night, to go from the car scene to there in a matter of, let's say 10 to 15 minutes, or maybe she's skirting it and she's booking it because she's running from whoever she's running from. Do we see her getting hyperthermia that quickly? It seemed like a stretch to me. I would assume that if she had hypothermia, it would have been, you know, uh, well, well, first off, I, I might. Some of the things that went through my head at the time were, you know, the car went off the road. Did she, was she hurt in a car accident? You know, how long was she in the car before she went to John's house, you know, uh, with no heat? Uh, obviously, I believe if uh, my, rem- mem- excuse me, my memory serves the, uh, one of the car doors was left open. The car was a mess on the inside. You know, that could have been a struggle involved. But, uh, yeah, I, it's just really hard to tell. You know, um, everybody's different. I don't know. You know, I had heard that she often drove around without her shoes on. I don't know if if, she, if hypothermia is a realistic uh, perspective to take or not. It seems a little bit, like, like I said, it seems a little bit like a stretch that she would get it in a 10-minute time period but mm-hmm. uh i don't know i've never experienced hypothermia thank goodness so uh yeah. and i'm no professional to to make a uh, sound judgment on that
Rockford and Ashley's conversation starts in May of 2019. We've sorted the testimony you're about to hear by category. And again, to make it clear, this transcript was provided to me by Ashley. At the time, I didn't realize how useful their conversation would be. As I mentioned in the beginning, the focus of Ashley and Rockford's conversation will revolve around what's relevant to Brittany's case. I successfully got into four of her accounts before police told me to stop. I only just started on her birthday. Three days, I had her Outlook, Gmail, Google, Facebook, TextNow, and Snapchat. I have her Amazon photo account. Some from the day she went missing are in there. What? You have her Amazon account? Yes. That's huge. Can I please have that? I can't hand that over. I told you, I'm willing to give you what I have. Okay, you gotta show me. Anyone can change their Amazon name to Brittany. What's in there? She mixed her last name with Zach's. Who's Zach? I can't get into that account either, right? Her ex-boyfriend, who her mom is dating now. Twisted shit. She created this account at 3.45 a.m. October 28, 2018. Do me a favor, if you believe me, like I believe you're an empath. Immediately upon opening this email, she created the empty Facebook link, linked to my number. She also immediately emailed herself her contact list. I get into her text now, too. Nothing there either, so either someone got in and deleted shit, or these are all red herrings and everything of importance is in ones not yet accessed. That Facebook isn't a red herring. It's got timestamps and IP addresses and phone identifiers. No, but it's not got anything in it pointing to the way either. I've been slowly looking up IPs. There's an address on Main Street that shows up multiple times. Also, a place in Hawaii next to a military base. Well, I mean, there was no logins after November 30th at 3.43 a.m. until July 7th at 7.56 a.m. Right, that was me on the 7th. Yeah, and the IP on November 30th matches Britt's phone. So literally, no one has accessed that Facebook since her until you did. Okay, that's comforting, I think. No, man. I wish there were logins after she disappeared. Then those IPs would mean something. I've been teaching myself some new skills to get what you want. SS7 attacks. Heard of them? Nope. S7 makes two-factor null. I also have brute force software installed. Once I have a solid skill set built, which I do quickly when techno is involved, I'll be able to get into every account. Question. What's the likelihood of you being able to send a link to Jess and getting her to click it? The link itself would land her on a Google page, requiring her to sign in. Then she'd be redirected to any site of my choosing, while her email and password are secretly sent to me. I won't do that yet. Start with Brit. She has all Brit's shit. I'd like to log in, because it'd be way faster than hacking each one, but okay. I can get her logins from her. Then why haven't you just logged into them? Unless she wasn't lying when she told me Sheldon changed them. She hasn't given them to me. Ashley shares the glide recording with Rockford. This is his response. Who's in the car with you? That's J.J. Fox Jr. Before I knew he was no good. 
I don't believe he had anything to do with it, honestly. But he lost his damn mind and stole my car. I had only met him for the first time in my life on December 23rd. Don't judge. I didn't know him and he was there to protect me when Eric Shank turned weird on me. I'm not judging you. JJ is intimidating this guy. How did you get him to talk? Who is the person he's calling to get his info? Powerful shit, Ashley. The cops have this? Does Jessica have this? JJ isn't intimidating anyone. That man is an old timer. Dangerous. Can't stand JJ. JJ puts that front on every time he walks out in public. For Did you ever talk to the kid? No, I never talked to the kid, no. I never even found their names. Uh, as you know, there's so many different rabbit holes to go down. I never uh, I never tried to, you know, go yeah. find the kid or anything like that. I just figured, you know, he's a, he's a teen. Anybody sitting at home, somebody pounding on your door in the middle of the night is going to be scared. Total normal reaction to say, oh, I'm not answering that door. First time I've ever heard that the, that one door was left open. Did they say which door it was? No, but I did. I do know that the car was never dusted for prints or anything like that. He had this missing girl, this missing young lady with a missing young mother, and the car was never even dusted. It was just taken in, given back the next morning. So he told me he didn't get it till like the eighth. You know, was it the next morning? Oh, that's, I heard it was the next morning. That's what I was told. The knowledge that I pursued, it was uh, no, uh, there was no dusting done or anything like that in the car. So whoever the uh, passenger was, which you now is still a question mark, as far as I know, going to be basically no way to find that out now. Unless, uh, you know, grandma and grandpa or somebody come forward, the person that was with her or somebody looking for one of the two, right? Ashley eventually early on gets her hands on Facebook account information and Gmail account information that is that are Britney's. She eventually gets access to her accounts and she sent you a print off of Britney's Facebook history, right? Right. Yeah. During your initial interview and investigation, when you made contact with Ashley, it sounds like she gave you a lot of information too, like what she did to me. That's very accurate. You know, she she had information that I have no idea where it came from, but she had a lot. You also talked to Eric. That was only on a couple of occasions and it's kind of brief. He kind of just flaked or would disappear on you. Yeah, he was he was in and out, in and out. Uh, I only talked to him a couple of times, but every time it was uh, uh, is different conversations. You know, these these uh, folks will lead you down different paths and seemed like there was a lot of finger pointing back and forth to different people and you know you should look at this person you should look at that person you know but uh he didn't really nah, he wasn't very cooperative did he want to meet you late somewhere one night and you had it in there that he wanted to meet with you like at midnight somewhere he did one night and uh well i, I don't meet people that i don't know at midnight in the middle of nowhere. So, now. Yeah. You eventually did some investigative work where you found out that there was a 
you got to the point where you started looking at the IP address because Ashley's always claimed that somebody else accessed Brittany's account before she did. And I don't know if Ashley realized this or not, but what she sent, she also sent to me what she sent you probably. And the IP address is the same IP address for the same device that's being logged on to to Brittany's Facebook account on July 7th of 2019. And it's the same phone on the 7th, 8th, and then on the 9th, it shows the printout of the entire Facebook at the very bottom of the page. Long story short, you were able actually to pinpoint the fact that no, nobody else has been on this account except you. So why are Brittany's Facebook why is why are her messages deleted? Why are things out of her account? Because you notice there was never any conversation history between Brittany and Ashley. Right, right. That was definitely deleted. And then you had this very limited conversation history between Eric Shank and Brittany. I think that, to be honest with you, I think it's uh, just like most other cases when it comes to this kind of thing. I think it was somebody close to her. I think when you deal with uh, these 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 kind of uh, underground drug culture, there you know, there's several people that that could have been involved. And I hate to speculate, but you have uh, there's there's motives all around this case. If, when you look at it, you know there's this person was sleeping with that person. There's this person was sleeping with that person. There's drugs. There's, I mean, this is a it's a it's a it's a dirty case. It's a there's a lot of different ways it could have gone. I don't buy into the cartel or the sex trafficking thing. I, I, I don't, that doesn't, and as much information as I'm sure you've gotten from people that is misleading or doesn't add up. It was the same kind of situation I was getting. So you get three or four people who are giving you information that's different every time it's inconsistent over and over and over again. And you start thinking, well, why are they inconsistent? You know, why is, this information different than the last time why is that information different than this time there's probably three or four people that you could really key in on i have a feeling that one of those people at least one of those people was involved i don't think that it was a vast conspiracy like some of i think that's a distraction See, in the beginning, I was with Pocket. Whenever he'd piss me off, I'd hack his accounts and lock him out. Then I began to realize I had a knack for this shit. Once Eric broke my trust, I hacked and secured two of his accounts. Then I had two or three of Larry's. I have numerous accounts secured. But once I do that, it smashes together all the info from all the accounts to a certain point. Brittany's Boost Mobile is run by Sprint, and my software says Sprint. The 221? Nah, the 1168 number she had right before she disappeared. I think it's a 302. Yeah, that was Sprint. The 269-221-4219, which that number isn't right. I can't remember who gave that number, but that could be a part of the trouble I've had trying to access some of her accounts. The 302 number matches the IP address. In her Snapchat, I believe she has a 221 8219. Are you done with the Snapchat? 
I mean, I'm spinning with some of this shit. I feel like it's right there, right in front of me. That's not the number she had on her resumes that she just created, though. She had a text app. It was probably that. 920-400-7658 is what she was giving prospective employers. Where did you see her resumes? In her Gmail. Can you please give me a Gmail? I will share any connections I make, but I'm no help if I can't see this stuff, too. Don't lock me out. Of anything. I swear to you, I won't do that. I don't like this. She was counting on me. This has been my life for nine weeks, Ashley. She can count on me too. I promise you I won't give up. It's been mine for nine months. I know. I would never try to compete with you. All I'm saying is if I was going to quit, I'd have did it about eight and a half weeks ago. I can't do this. When I secured it, I inadvertently combined all my data with hers. 800 some passwords. All my account info too. It would take forever to undo. Actually, here's an idea that would save you time and effort, and it's simple. Just reset the passwords again. But giving you access, it gives you access to mine, too. No, it won't, because if you reset the Snapchat through her Gmail, for instance, then you just give me the username and password for each individual site. I'd have no access to your password software. You want in her Snapchat? Yes. Hold on. I want any information I can possibly get. You're the info finder. Username. Password. I found a new Twitter, too. I'll figure it out tonight. Can we please meet? I'll give you more, but I need to know who I'm working with. I need to get a feel for you. I know how weird it sounds, but it's how I work. People should be thankful I'm not evil. I have account numbers, social security numbers, everything to ruin people. I'm just not cut like that, clearly. Or I wouldn't be selling my shit for pennies. I mean, I I, I don't want to, you know, bury Ashley because I know she's, you know, got plenty of problems of her own. But uh, at the end of the day, it's... uh, you know, if, if you didn't look into her, you'd be doing a disservice if you were investigating the case. You gaining access to someone's accounts and then deleting information is going to put you at, like at the top of my list. Like, why are right. you touching that, anything? That, that was always a giant red flag. Like, where is the rest of it? You know, this is a young woman on Facebook and there's what, what was there? Eight or nine conversations maybe left on there. Everything else was deleted. I mean, come on. I, I don't know anybody that's 24, 23 years old that has, doesn't have 150 yeah. conversations on their, on their Facebook messenger. So, and so she, for her to, to go in there and, and take control the way that she did. And then now today they con- the, the accounts actually have been deleted. It's no longer not accessible for her. She kept saying for a while that the two step authenticator app was on an old phone that was once stolen and then destroyed so now we can't access the account at all when i asked her early on i said okay well let's talk about the 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 day that britney went missing where were you do you remember what she told you she was doing oh my goodness uh if you uh if you have uh you know anything i could that would jog it i could probably tell you exactly Mm -hmm. what here's what she tells me i'm like when's the last time you saw her
The day came. That was the last time I'd see her. It was so strange. I wish I could go back and do things differently. Okay. So realize what you're doing here. You're giving me tapes and videos saying Chuck Allen did it. You're telling me that Daniel did it and he's not really in Florida? We have the conversation where Scott Turner says he's going to kill her. I'm telling you who to look at, for one. And for two, I've said multiple times, you gotta know everything from the beginning to understand. I don't need to look at anyone at this point. I need evidence. I'm happy to listen if the story goes on. I haven't said once that Daniel did it. And what I have may give you an aha moment. Okay, listen. I'm one of those kind of upfront guys. I have pieces, a lot of them. I wear my emotions on my sleeve. But I'm looking at the back of the puzzle putting it together. If you want to say this is what I think and here's why, I'm good with. But give me your conclusion first so I can get on board or I'm just going to keep interrupting because that's my nature. I don't know the people. I didn't anyway. Or the places. Everyone else involved knows. I'll just keep going because I don't have one. Because I can't see the fucking picture I'm putting together. I was raised in a bubble, very sheltered. That's why she said I was too soft to survive. I'll be patient. So, back to the last time I saw Britt. She needed to stop over. She wanted to buy. So, she got there and we were hanging out per the usual. She had what I now know to be Sheldon's car. I asked about the baby because she said she wasn't using while pregnant. That's when she told me she miscarried. She didn't stay long because she was going to work. Later, she texted me, said she needed to talk. Give me a minute. I'll just go screenshot this part. Okay, then there's a chance she was never pregnant too. Where did she work at the time? Toll Road Plaza. Ashley sends Rockford a single screenshot of her conversation with Brittany. This, of course, is just a snippet of their entire conversation. Ashley sent me more screenshots than she sent Rockford. The conversation between Brittany and Ashley is taking place on Facebook Messenger. I've said multiple times, Ashley's conversation history isn't on Brittany's Facebook account profile download. The screenshot conversation between Ashley and Brittany is brief. Here's what Ashley sent me. It begins with Brittany messaging Ashley on November 20th at 4.45 p.m., 2018. Hey, love. What's up? Bored as fuck. (laughs) I'm trying to get high and then get some. I still haven't got any. I've just been sleeping. It's fucking boring as shit out here. I've been sleeping, too. I thought you were in town. Eric's P.O. came this morning. I couldn't be there, so his dad dropped me back off. Oh, shit. I slept in. We woke up late as fuck. Then this afternoon, he asked if I gave you a ride. I said no one ever got a hold of me. I came back and did the same thing. And no, I was gonna, but his dad offered, and it was early, so I just went with the flow. Gotcha. Yeah, now I'm just trying to figure out what the fuck Eric's doing. About to go to the store with me to get some points? (laughs) Lucky you. Not so much. It's been a shitty day. I feel ya. November 22nd, 1.44pm. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. 
You got the first one from me. <laughs> well, technically Pocket did this morning, but other than that. <laughs> Aw, I feel special. You should. Even my parents didn't get it yet. November 23rd, 2.23 p.m. Hey, I got that money for you. What money? That I owed you? Pocket knows. You don't owe me for anything. Yes, I owe you 25. Oh, sweet. Laughing my fucking ass off. I made your day, huh? It's gonna take more than 25 to turn this day around, unfortunately. It didn't hurt, though. (laughs) Why is that? Pocket left again last night. Got him home this morning. Why? We're still arguing over dumb shit. No good. Zach and Carly were here last night. I wasn't happy. You need to be careful. That's why he left. I wasn't having it, but he left. That's friend to a friend. She's no good. Oh, I know. Only takes about four days for your shit to get kicked in with her. I know that for a fact. Tell him. I believe you. I have. You got 25 or no? Yeah, you at grandma's? I gotta go to my grandma's, then I'll be there. Oh, okay. I have a vehicle now. Sweet. Yeah. (laughs) Nearly 30 minutes pass. It's 2.51 p.m. You got a... Negative. Need to go to Meyer. I also need to go to Pigeon. I'll be there in a couple minutes. We'll talk. Okay. 8.35 p.m. Hey, lady. Can we talk for a second? What's up? Bear with me, though, if I'm spacey. You're good. Why are you spacey? I feel like that last shot was almost a hot shot. And I'm driving. And I'm going to Meyer for one thing. And Pocket is livid right now. Give me one, please. It fucking hurt. Like, I was moaning. That means it was a good one. That's not bad. And let me get one, please. I also gotta get my blanket and give you your sweatshirt. Plus, I gotta wash your two shirts I have. There's a lot happening there. Meet me. I need to talk to you about Eric. Okay, give me a minute. I got a really pissed off pocket I need to deal with. Okay. Eric's on a kill himself rampage. Fuck, pocket is too. At this point, I'm thinking if you can't beat him, join him. Laughing my damn ass off. No. Okay, I'm sitting down. At home. Let me read your paragraphs. What do you mean, my paragraphs? When I said there's a lot there. Brittany decides to call Ashley. It's 9.02 p.m. The call lasts for nearly three minutes. After the call ends, Brittany messages Ashley. Do you want to go with me or no? I'll meet you there. I'm coming to get you. Brittany decides to call Ashley. The time is now 9.09 p.m. Their call lasts nearly eight minutes. We see another call made by Brittany at 9.51 p.m. This time, the call only lasted 20 seconds. I see one more call attempt made by Brittany. It's 10 p.m. And Ashley doesn't answer. Five days pass by. Nothing. Not a text, not a call, to or from one another. It's not until November 28th at 3.33 p.m. Brittany messages Ashley. Got 20? 
I got nothing. Nothing but bad luck. Well, I got 50. I need it. Hopefully something will fall in and I'll have something later. I want to take a moment to cross-examine Brittany's conversation with Ashley and Brittany's Facebook post activity, focusing only on what's pertinent. On November 19th, Brittany told Ashley that Eric's PO was about to stop by, so Eric's dad gave Brittany a ride home. Since she has a warrant, she can't be there when his probation officer arrives. With this knowledge, we can be reasonably sure that Brittany stayed at Eric's parents' house with him on November 19th, and it's not until later in the day that Brittany and Ashley begin talking. During their conversation, Brittany asked Ashley, now I'm just trying to figure out what the fuck Eric's doing. Ashley tells Britt that Eric's with her and they're on the way to go get Ashley some points. Brittany replies, lucky you. Later that evening, around 7.45 p.m., Brittany posted on Facebook, I finally understand it. Dear Lord, I was with a narcissist for almost the last two years. Brittany continues to post six more times that evening. Five of the six Facebook posts are unavailable and can't be seen. Brittany ends the night with one more post at 10.41 p.m. On God, made my night. I can't help but wonder if Brittany's Facebook post is in response to Eric's actions. On November 23rd, Brittany tells Ashley that she owes her $25 and that Pocket knows what it's about. I'd like to know what that's about. One more thing that sticks out to me about Brittany and Ashley's conversation. Brittany seems adamant about speaking with Ashley shortly after posting about her and Sheldon's relationship on Facebook. At 8.18 p.m., Brittany posted that she and Sheldon are making an attempt to rekindle the relationship. 17 minutes later, Brittany messages Ashley. Hey lady, can we talk for a second? The two exchanged messages for a brief period, and again, Brittany requests Ashley to speak. Meet me, lol. And I need to talk to you about Eric. Followed by, Eric's on a kill himself rampage. Brittany eventually gets to the point of telling Ashley that she's on her way to pick her up. I said, no, I'll meet you there. Because Eric was there and I was trying to avoid them running into each other because they both said, don't tell the other I'm here. So I said, I'll meet you there. And she's just like, no, I'm almost to your house. And I'm like, just, I'm heading to the car. Just, I'll meet you there. I want to see your house. Why would Britt say that if she had already been to Ashley's apartment and almost moved in? Then there's a seven-minute phone call at 9.09 p.m., followed by a 20-second call at 9.51 p.m., and lastly, the missed call at 10 p.m. Now, based on Ashley's testimony, she and Britt met at Walmart, and Ashley provided dope to Britt in the Walmart parking lot. The two go their separate ways. If Brittany had already received the drugs from Ashley, I'm curious what the calls were about around 10 p.m. Could Brittany be checking to see what's going on between Ashley and Eric? I could imagine Brittany not being fond of the idea that her supposed best friend and separated husband are hanging out together. My final thoughts. I find it odd Brittany and Ashley don't speak from the 24th until the 28th. From what we've read, Ashley and Brittany appeared to speak somewhat regularly previous to this. 
And that's the problem. This is all we have to go off of. A conversation history amongst two supposed best friends between November 20th and November 28th. That's the conversation history Ashley provided me. I'd be short-sighted not to think that there's more. Brittany and Ashley had been friends since the summer of 2018. I find it hard to believe their conversation history only began on November 20th. Well, I mean, of, of course, you'd, you'd look into uh, to, to Cage, uh, but, you know, Cage always seemed like a straight shooter to me. Um, I know he has a history and things like that, but uh, when it comes to, you know, any kind of these investigations, you're going to look at the husband, like you said, Eric. Uh, obviously, you'd look at Sheldon, but Sheldon, man, you know, I believe he has an alibi. I believe he's uh, not, the, not the kind of person to get involved with any kind of thing like that to begin with, just based on my interaction with him. You know, he seems pretty uh, mild-mannered and, and it doesn't mean anything, but this doesn't stick out to you like somebody who is really involved or lying to you, to, for that matter. You know, Jessica, all the work that she did has been doing to try to find Brittany takes a lot of uh, pressure off of the people that want to point fingers at her. You know, at this point, I don't believe that she was involved either. But, yeah, the obviously the, the third person that uh that comes up that that people have to take a look at is uh the unknown male that was with her that night at the end of the day even if he wasn't involved he's got to know something there's there's got to be information there and there's got to be a, a way to to figure out what he knows and what he doesn't know and and he's done a very good job of keeping his nose out of everybody's business that kind of tells you he might have something to hide what if this guy's not coming forward because even though he didn't do anything, he's in, he's like, I already got a record. Like I already got a rap sheet. Like I like it's not going to look good for me. I'm I've wondered that. Like I've wondered if that was. I, I don't know if we we talked about it at all either. Uh, there was always mention that Brittany might not have stuck around John's house because she had a warrant at the time. But I'm, at the same time, that doesn't make any sense because if your life's in danger, who cares about a warrant? I know it doesn't make any sense to me. So, but maybe, maybe the person in the car also had a warrant and wanted to get the heck out of there because he didn't want to go. I don't know. I don't know. You had mentioned Brittany apparently had, from what you had been told, Brittany had made a stop at someone's house the night that she went missing to buy drugs. And it was a male's house? That was what I was told. There was a, a male involved that she stopped to try to get some sort of chemicals from. I, I'm not sure if he w ended up being the male that was uh, also in the car with her when she went to grandma and grandpa's house or not. And, and like I told you earlier, the name jogs my memory a bit, but uh, there were four or five individuals who matched the description the police uh, the police gave out that had the you know sideburns, the blonde hair, the blue eyes, things like that, that I reached out to. And one particular individual was very aggressive towards me and and uh he basically said i miss Brittany. don't contact me again or i'll do you physical harm 
fine. You know, if that's, if that's the way they are, that's the way they are. You can't get everybody to talk to you. But, uh, like I said, there were four or five individuals and that one particular individual was the only one that was you know, aggressive like that. And that was the picture I sent you. I believe so. Yeah, I believe so. Okay. The picture I share with Rockford is one of Jeffrey Kiesling. I have too much info. So tell me specifically what you want to know that you think I might. Who was in the car with her that night? To even try and understand it all, you'd have to start at the beginning, two years ago, a year before I even met Britt. According to the picture I sent Brad to have one of his deputies take to her grandma, it was Jeffrey Kiesling. He was picked up early on and released. Who's handling this investigation? So let's get this straight. Because Eric relays to Ashley his interpretation of the description Grandma gives, Ashley sends the sheriff a photo of Jeffrey K. Because in her opinion, the description Eric reports sounds like him. Again, I'll ask you, who's driving this train? In my opinion, Jeffrey and Sheldon look nothing alike. Physiques are not similar, hair coloring isn't similar, and general appearance isn't similar. Is it becoming easier to see how things became so messy, so fast? There was so much talk about Mr. Allen at the beginning of this thing. And everybody was so fearful of Mr. Allen and you know, this whole that whole situation is perplexing that, that Ashley, who I know for a fact, told me at some point or other that she was scared to death of, of Mr. Allen. Yeah, and you're not alone in that. She multiple times made it known he was a person of interest. He was a, you know, she would one day would be chuck this. And it's not just with the, ga- the, the gas theft. It's also over here at Don Hill's house or over here at this farm. Like it was so many different theories. And Chuck Allen was one of them constantly in that mix of stories that she would toss around but then you're dating him yeah he was actually in in jail the entire time that i looked yeah. into this and, uh i never had a chance i know that jessica told me that she visited him in jail and that she didn't believe he had anything to do with it at one point or another and uh i thought that was uh interesting because uh would a guilty person go and confront somebody in jail like that you know yeah. that that's one of the things that uh really kind of took me off of the oh jessica did a path yeah we tally mark each side and you think okay we were keeping score these are all positive scores at you know Jess, jessica's doing right we weren't the greatest mom but if we're going forward she's putting on search parties she's actively trying to to spread awareness and whether you think that desire is is for the right reasons or, or not if she's responsible i don't think she's doing all those things exactly Exactly. You'd think that she'd just be hunkering down, keeping her mouth shut. The 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 almost irrelevance that that uh, 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 irrelevant events that she gives you over and over and over again actually got to the point where I remember talking to the detective who was on the case at the beginning. I don't I don't remember what his name was. I think he was a, a sergeant, detective sergeant uh, up there at the time. He actually was 
questioning whether or not she was credible at all. He, I, I believe he told me he didn't even want to, you know, talk about her or listen to anything she had to say anymore. And yeah. she's definitely threw a lot of people off course. Yeah. The sex trafficking stuff that came about, oh, they were coming after me. Wait a minute. What? What? They got me confused with Brittany. I, I don't even think that they look very similar. So it's no. uh, Yeah, I heard that one before. They got me confused with Brittany. That's right. Because the hairstyle. That's right. The hairstyle, <laughs> even though I believe Ashley's much taller and, and yes. lean, shorter and, and yes. not not big by any means, but just smaller. Smaller statue. Ashley, if this is as deep as I think it might be, the sex game is why. I already know that. I know who the men in the rape house are. I know she was raped before disappearing. I know she was spotted over by the rape house. I had the pleasure of an encounter with a woman who escaped the rape house And before the car door shut, I heard her say to my friend, I heard one girl was raped to death. At least I didn't get it as bad as her. I about came unglued. Well, you need to share more then, because I have a suspect and several persons of interest with evidence backing it, and I need more evidence if you want to see them in jail. If you want to keep your info to yourself, that's fine. Just know, when I hand this report over to the police, if they get off the hook, Something you know might have kept them from getting charged. My ex went to jail one day before she went missing, conveniently. Caught across the street at a gas station. He'd cut his tether. He's now back in prison over it. He only has two months left after being on parole for eight years. Strange, no? Then he was one of the ones begging me to stop looking. One visit, he had tears in his eyes and said, I know more than I should. When I asked what he meant, he said, it's closer than you think. When I told him Dorman brought up Les's name, he said, it makes sense, fits his M.O., short, petite, blonde. I corrected him and said, she wasn't blonde. He said close enough and I yelled at him, said she was dark as me, if not darker. He knew this. She was at our place every day. When he found I was texting the sheriff, he was pissed. This is in the beginning, the day after the bulletin went out. His reaction was extremely strange. He is the reason behind most of my info. He knew things before they could have possibly gotten to jail. Ashley, I've been working 14-hour days on this case. I have all the names. I have a suspect. I have POIs. I have evidence backing everything. And I could get the whole ring on conspiracy right now. I need more from her. Then do it. I asked Dorman a question once, and his answer sent a chill deep into my core. I need to know what happened when she was part of the ring, why she stole the phone, what she did when she was in the ring, and who she did it with. Conspiracy isn't going to crack these guys and get her home. I need more from her. A back page listing, a webcam site profile, proof that she was engaging in sexual activities for money at some point. I was bawling. I was terrified for my life at this point. I asked him, why me? Why are they so hell-bent on taking me? I told him JJ and I talked about it, and he said possibly for my brain, my techno. Dorman said possibly, or maybe they just like the way you look. I don't think she did it for money, honestly. 
I think she was used as a debt payoff for Jess. Now, the other girls, I could see them doing that. I could look into that. I have what seems to be all the guys involved, my boyfriend, the girls. He saved my life. I'm his. That's how we came together. With my puzzle pieces and his, we've uncovered so much. She was doing things for money. Maybe she never told you that, but she was at some point. What gets me is when I talk to people and I need to go down these dark roads, they want to protect her and not show me what I need to see. Protecting her won't bring her home. I share with you, you have to share with me. I'm not protecting her. If there's something to find, I'll do my best. And if you talk to anyone who knows me, finding shit on people is my forte. I'm too close to give you any names. These guys get wind of how close I am, they could split. I want justice. Fuck that. Because I'm in the same position. Reverse roles. I'm thinking the same thing. But I'll tell you this. Stick to the sex ring. Get rid of the small potatoes because they don't matter. Only I can tell you this. When they find out how close you are, they don't split. They come after you. Sheldon, Ricky, Les, Kenny, all small potatoes. Carol Kelly, Scorpions, Hell's Angels, Devil's Disciples, Heroin, and Sex. Oh, and Jess. There's your ingredients. Can't forget Kaner. He's linked to the Angels. Shank is connected to the cartel. Dale and my ex-husband, DWB. My ex-pocket, Kings. There's a war brewing. I'm not scared of them coming after me. All of my information is saved to a cloud and it's accessible to my police contacts. The information is there. If something happens to me, it doesn't matter. One of my friends also has access to my other cloud. It'd be much smarter if they split. And it's all over sex and drugs. Yeah, same. I've showed I'm not going to stop no matter what they do. You and one of yours need to meet with me and my boyfriend. I'm not worried about any of the stuff you listed above. The conspiracy isn't what I'm chasing. I'm chasing people that can bring Brittany home. I don't care about the larger scope. We need to talk and mash up. Brittany isn't coming home. There's no body to find. Brittany will come home. Ashes, body, or otherwise. I don't know how clear this is to anyone else, but to me, it's very clear that Rockford is making a real attempt to gather information from Ashley so he can turn it over to law enforcement. He says he knows who these men at the rape house are. He says he has information, but Ashley redirects the conversation. She doesn't acknowledge what Rockford is saying. There are a few statements that piqued her interest in this exchange. Ashley says she knows Brittany was raped before she disappeared, and she knows she was spotted by the rape house. How? How would Ashley know either of those things? I can only see two scenarios in which she would know these pieces of information. One, if Ashley knows who did it. Or two, if she was a witness. In either scenario, why wouldn't this information be turned over to law enforcement? Well, I guess there's a third scenario. Lastly, Ashley says Brittany isn't coming home. She says, there is no body to find. Let me say that one more time. She says there is no body to find.
you ever talk to Cage? Sure did. Yep. I talked to him at least a couple of times and he was always very helpful. And, you know, uh, everybody said, oh, he's oh, a cage fighter and he's dangerous. And you know, he seemed always, he always seemed very helpful and very eager to, to help like a, like a friend would, you know, um, I know that the history between him and Brittany and, and other people involved were, is, is just uh, kind of wild, but at the same time, he was always very kind and very willing to answer questions and very open. At least that was my experience with him. The backlash from this, I mean, you said that you had, this had a really negative impact on where you wanted to even go in your career. I mean, you have one guy who's threatening you because he doesn't want to be talked to, but John had people, John's the other documentary guy, he had people threatening him from all over. Did you ever receive that kind of backlash, or was it... I, I think uh, at, the, at the end of the day, I, uh, I I definitely received some backlash on the forums and things like that. There were some people that, that I definitely had contact with that said, uh, you know, no, that's not what happened, and, and I was always okay with that, but uh, the, the as, as far as my like, career plans were, it was... Uh, this this kind of a case is is pretty heavy duty. We're dealing with something that's uh, where, where family dynamics are way outside of the norm. We're dealing with something where drugs involved and and the, the subculture, the drug subculture is is involved, and everybody you talk to is involved in these things. And man, at the end of the day, it was just something that I wasn't prepared to deal with on my own. And like I said, uh, the the person that that kind of gave me a nudge forward and said, you know, I'll help you any way I can. After we had a conversation, he told me, Hey, this thing's a mess, you know, get your nose out of that. And I said, okay. That's when I called Jessica and said, now this is a little bit too much for me. And, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to back away. And, uh, she was very respectful of that. And it wasn't any problem. Every, everybody in this case wants to point the fingers at other people and, and lead you down paths that are, don't make any sense whatsoever. And, and I think we see that quite often in, with most, almost everybody you talk to. The thing that's really important to note is that the people who are cooperative, they, they really seem to want to find her. And the ones that don't, you know, the ones that want to say, well, look at this guy, look at that guy, look at this guy, look at this conspiracy, look at that conspiracy. They're, they're the ones that really throw the red flags up for you. At the end of the day, I think that's, uh, that that's like I said, I think it's somebody close to her, somebody that was a close friend or somebody that was in the family or something like that, not some kind of conspiracy. I think that's all just a red herring to get you to look the other way. Don't look at me. Look yeah. over there. It was. It's a big case. It's a big case for anybody to take on, especially somebody with very limited resources. And and at the time, I was just trying to be helpful, and I had no idea that the pit was as deep and dark as it ended up getting. And I have no regrets about stepping away whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But I do that they figure out what happened to that young lady because you know no matter what she did and no matter who she was, she was she didn't deserve to get you know, what what happened to her. And uh, you know now we're going on what is it? four years, almost four years now, getting towards four, three or four years now that she's been missing without a trace. She has children. She could have came back and, and, and built a life for herself. And, you know, whoever took that from her, she didn't deserve that. And, and really the most profound thing that, that really runs through my head more than anything else. When I look back at the, at, at my time looking into the case was 
the videos, I, I believe Jessica probably may have sent you to of her interacting with her children. I mean, you saw a, a mother there that did care about her kids. This wasn't some strung out junkie. This was somebody that through, through her conversations, you see, she did want to change her life. She did want to do better. She was caught in a trap. Like a lot of people get caught in, but and you see her interact with her kids and you're like, yeah, I don't care what she did. I don't care what guy she was with or who she made angry. She didn't deserve to, to go missing like that. You know, maybe there's still a chance that she's still around somewhere. Maybe she disappeared off the face of the earth. Who knows? But, you know, at this point, realistically, you know, she didn't deserve to, to be, to be killed. Look, I need help. I pray it doesn't make me a bad person, but you apparently have the means. I'm not withholding information, really, just protecting mine as well. But are you really willing to do anything for me like that? It took everything in me to type this. Please don't judge me. Judge you? I don't judge anyone. I don't know, because I'm judging myself for even asking now. Nothing is selling. My state aid got cut off. I've got nothing. I haven't even made it to medical appointments because I just can't afford the drive even. I just want to know if you were serious. I need to know. I'm serious. Then we can get together and I can lay it all out. Literally. Everything I have. You can take what you need or want at that point. Just please don't cut me out. Okay. But it won't be today. I'm working until 11. That's fine. Can I ask what's your offer for everything? I don't even know. It's not something you can really put a price on. Whatever you think is fair, given the situation, I guess. Well, I guess it depends on what is in the package. The phone, her accounts, Eric's accounts, the papers, hers, and mine. Your accounts, too? Facebook accounts, Snapchat, which you have, two Twitters, Gmail, Outlook... My accounts? Why mine? I want to see what you have. I can let you into all mine together. That's my life. My life that's been taken, mostly. My kids that I haven't seen or spoken to in nine months now. I don't want to take anything from them. I just want to see what's there. See if it connects the dots for me. If not, I understand, but it would be appreciated. I'll give you one of my phones if you give it back to me at the end. Okay. The phone Eric, Josh, and Larry all used at one point or another. The phone the cops wanted and had. One of the reasons I'm asking is that you said you didn't care if I saw your stuff earlier when you gave me Eric's stuff. Is that 1K cash you offered on Britt's page just for the phone out of reach? Was that serious or just a ploy? I can, but there's just so much painful shit. I'll tell you what. Let me into it, and I won't ask again. I just want to see what you've got in there. I'll give you cash for the rest in person. No one else needs to see this shit. So if that happened, you'd have to swear to it. No one else will ever see it but me. How do I know you're for real about this? Ask yourself. Sure, he's been an asshole in the past, but has he ever lied to me? I don't know if you have or not. We've never made it this far working together. So the answer is no, I haven't. I've been as real with you as anyone. I've been willing to risk losing you to get you to this point, and I'll risk it to keep you too. 
I probably don't have to explain much here. It seems evident to me that Brittany has just went from Ashley's best friend to Ashley's meal ticket. I'm not one to judge, and I don't claim to know what's best for someone else's life. But I guess Ashley must have missed that part in life where you grow up, get a job to earn money, and become a contributing member of society. This sure does seem like the pot calling the kettle black. Remember, Ashley told Scott, Brittany's case was just a big payday for me. You see, hypocrites are rather easy to recognize. They spend most of their time pointing out the flaws in others and the rest of the time trying to flaunt their perceived perfection. I mean, I think uh, the things that stick out to me would be the same things that probably stick out to you. The the, the fact that she had this information, you know, I... I can't imagine a scenario where one of my best friends goes missing and then I'm logging into his or her Facebook and going through their accounts and, and things like that. Um, it was always kind of a red flag for me. I, I mean, I, I don't know what their relationship was like, obviously, but you know, my friend's missing. I'm my, my focus is I'm going to try to find my friend. I'm going to do everything I can to try to help find my friend, not dig into their personal stuff and make sure there's no record of me and their conversations and things like that. So, you know, it, it's not, it's not incredibly surprising that you came up with what you came up with. And, you know, and I'm not trying to hurl accusations at anyone, obviously when you, when you see the kind of uh, evidence that can be brought forward from that, that Ashley probably gave you and you wonder how she came upon that, why she came upon that. There was probably reasons for that. I was hopeful um, that it might just be, you know, drug related or whatever. You know, was, you know, she was trying to make sure that she didn't get a charge or something like that. But, you know, I'm not naive either. And if 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 she was involved, I'm not surprised uh, in any way. What about Eric? Because Ashley's claim is when I said, "What were you at the night she went missing?" She's like, "Fuck, I got to remember this because." Eric's been using me as his alibi. I was in bed all day long because Pocket had gotten arrested. And the day or day before, day or day, the day before or two days before, one of the two. And I was in bed and he was calling me constantly from JPay and yada, yada, yada. She says Eric was there at her house. But then I got Eric in another conversation saying he was at his mom's house. I, I'm, I'm kind of on this path right now where I'm like, Brittany goes missing. Pocket goes to jail and you guys start hooking up. Did you sleep with Eric? I don't want to answer that, but not answering answers it. We weren't together or anything. It just kind of happened. Months in close quarters, literally saving my life, crying together, getting high to ease it. Don't judge, please. That's out of character for me. I don't make a habit of sleeping with men I'm not in a relationship with. I'm not judging. You realize there isn't a hell of a lot you can do at this point to change my opinion of you. The last week really opened up my eyes to you. Oh, we've spoken before all of this. I just realized that today. Back in December, when you talked to Eric for the first time, 
It was him for the first couple sentences. Then I took over. I kept telling him, say this or that. And he was like, here, talk. I'll read what I had to say when you're done. I don't care. I figure it's not the same people half the time, but if it makes you feel better, you're probably why I think he's a dick. I got all the logins last night. Every password has been changed. I'm meeting with Corbett today. I could use downloadable versions of the tapes. Just going to read my messages without replying today? Downloadable. Okay, hold on. Something happened. My actual recordings disappeared after the police had my phones. Conveniently. So, are they on a cloud? Thankfully, I'd sent them via Facebook, so I went and forwarded them to others to ensure I still had them somewhere. You can download them from Facebook, then send the hard copy. It's gone. My hard copies are gone. A lot of things are. I asked them if they'd heard the recordings. They said yes, then just told me to stop. Well, the recordings aren't playing back for me at the moment. Can you forward them to me? Again, please, Ashley. Sorry, I'm not holding up well. This is my first Mother's Day without my kids, ever. My first one without my mother, too. I mean, she's alive and well, but I'm dead to her because I'm a user. Therefore, I'm a monster who doesn't deserve my kids. Even though I explained to her that back when I had it all going for me, my own place, working six days a week, attending school full time, pulling a 4.0 almost to my fucking bachelor's, raising three kids on my own with no support, bills all paid, two vehicles, an Aztec I owned, and a beautiful new Explorer that was to be paid off this February, right before graduation, a cushion in the bank. I had a daily dope habit, but she couldn't handle that. But as soon as I started losing everything, then it was all because I'm some druggie, a junkie addict who put drugs above all. I found out that I actually have a very shallow, judgmental mother. Sorry for the rant. Like I said, not holding up well. Happy Mother's Day, Ashley. They're not playing when I scroll up. They just buffer. Same. It takes a long time for the 11-minute one to load. And thank you. So email them to me. They can load in the background. I'll have to go download something to pull them off Facebook. But why? Seems you have all you need now that you have the account information I've been trying to get for months. All of the passwords are changed, Ashley. Nothing works. It's not about two-party. Someone changed all of the passwords right down the line. I know. I told you this. I managed to secure two emails, a Facebook and her Amazon. I'm still working on the rest. I still had to get the list to see if someone was doing it randomly or if they were going right down the list. It is evident they were going right down the list. It would be easier if I could enter a last password remembered for them, though. And that's good they did it that way. Britt linked them as each other's backup. That's how I got the ones I did. Help me help you. She changed them all November 28th on her own. No, 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 no. She didn't. I mean, she did. She dated the notebook pages. But they were changed afterwards, too. Yes, Three days after her disappearance. Which means whoever changed them... Jess. I don't think it was Jess. Or Sheldon. 
Yes. Sheldon sent Eric five pictures of Brit's paperwork. I asked for them. He sent me one. The one he sent me, he didn't send Eric. Then said Jess had the rest. According to Jess, Sheldon held on to the notebook for days after her disappearance. So long that Eric threatened to kick his ass. Then to avoid Eric, he gave them to Jess. He had them until the 10th or 9th of December. Yeah, I don't believe much of what Jess says. Besides, I was there when the convo between them took place. He never threatened to beat Sheldon's ass. I actually have the convo between them. Remember, I secured Eric's Facebook too. You know what? I really don't know if I can keep doing this. You have all these things hidden away, and what good is it doing you? I have all of the resources needed to bring Brit home, and you refuse to trust me with your info. So here's how I think this needs to go. I need what you have, and realize that you're impeding my investigation by holding this information hostage. So you think about what you want to do. You say you want to help, but you want to play games. If you want to be a partner in this, be one. If you want to be selfish and self-serving, then keep doing what you're doing. If your goal was to bring Brittany home, you'd give me everything because I can get her home. If your goal is to try to keep some kind of recognition, then keep doing what you're doing. But I promise you, as bad as your mom is to you about being a user, a detective and attorney or a judge would be a hundred times worse. In a court, witness credibility is a huge factor, and users have historically had about as much credibility as jailhouse snitches. You need me. I take you seriously, but I'm tired of waiting. Give me what you've got. Play games? That's where I stopped reading that message. Fuck this. I'm not handing shit over to a stranger. If I'm impeding an investigation, subpoena me. No one will waste their breath without proof. That's why the cops are ignoring all of you. There's no proof. Things link well on paper, but there's no proof. People think you are in on this because of the way you're acting. There's just as many people who think you're in on it as there is who think Jess is. How's that for comfort? To answer your question about how's that for comfort, never bothered me one bit that anyone considered me. Because I know the relationship between her and I, for one. And for two, cops told me point blank, they know I'm not involved. It was me and Britt's Facebook. How did you get into it? Do you have her phones? I think I have one of her phones. It was given to me back in December by Eric. By the time we touch down in South Bend, it's late. We drag ourselves over to baggage claim. Delta came through. Our bags actually arrived with us this time. The second my feet hit the sidewalk outside the airport, there's a different energy. I felt it earlier, but now it's palatable. The Airbnb is an hour away, and when you're tired, an hour might as well be three. When my head finally hits the pillow, 
My eyelids are heavy, but my thoughts are heavier. As tired as I am, I toss and turn. We got to be up in five hours. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Hide and Seek. If you'd like to take a more active role in the Hide and Seek community, come interact with us. Share your thoughts, opinions, and theories in the Hide and Seek podcast discussion group. Find us by searching Hide and Seek Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. The Hide and Seek Podcast is hosted, produced, audio engineered, and directed by James Basinger. Written, edited, and produced by Sarah Joe. Director of Photography and Editing is Ethan Schatz. Our graphic design is created by Jordan Robinson.